I'm back with another episode of Metroplex Mania. Bob Sturm joins me to discuss all things related to Dallas Cowboy football. Hello there. And welcome to another episode of Metroplex Mania. As always, I'm your host, Shanavaz Makani. Metroplex Mania is brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. He's a staff writer for The Athletic and host of The Hardline on AM 1310 and FM 96.7, The Ticket, here in Dallas, Texas. I am joined once again by the great Bob Stern. Bob, how are you today? Doing great. Happy to be with you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So last time we talked was around draft time, and I remember, uh, you know, we we were kind of sitting there, you know, with Cowboys, 10th pick in the draft, and, and I think you and I both thought as – well as many other people did that it was a foregone conclusion that we were going to draft a cornerback. Um, that seemed to yeah. be the most pressing need for the team. Um, seems like it's been that way for, for years and years. Um, and then draft day comes and JC Horn and Patrick Sertain both get taken in the two picks right before uh, the Cowboys draft. And so from, from what you heard or, or kind of what you analyzed from that perspective, was there any doubt that it was Micah Parsons? Cause looking back on it now, I, it felt like Micah Parsons just kind of fell off the, the map a little bit. I think people forgot how good of a player he was in college because he sat out last year. Was that kind of a no-brainer decision for the Cowboys to then just go out and get a linebacker? Uh, it, it was a wild draft. And, you know, when you, when you try to project what they're going to do and, and uh, all the teams in front of them, what they're going to do, you're always just kind of playing probabilities. But clearly – the Micah Parsons fall off the map thing to me is about the uh, uniqueness of the 2021 draft, which, which was filled with COVID opt-outs. And uh, I I think that just changed the math uh, considerably when you did not see a lot of these guys play since the 2019 season, we see it individually when somebody gets hurt and misses a year or somebody goes on a Mormon mission and misses a year, but we don't see it in mass. And I really think uh, when we look back at this in 10 years, we, we will have to attach some value and some meaning to just the overall weirdness of the draft. Then from a cowboy standpoint, and I know this was a source of controversy out there, uh, should they address defense or should they take care of offensive line? And I just, you know, I was never with the good folks that wanted to go offensive tackle. I know that I know that Rashawn Slater has been fantastic, but I always thought, you know, cornerback is key. But beyond that, the best defensive playmaker you can find. So I, there, in no way was I on Parsons necessarily for being a Cowboys fit, partly because, you know, the the sunk cost of uh, what you've been invested in Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch was just too much for me to wrap my head around as something I could deal with. Uh, but uh, to the Cowboys credit, I do think they also went down the list and said, okay, we can't get Sertan. We can't get Horn. So who can best affect our defense? And honestly, with a new coaching staff, it's very easy to say who cares about sunk costs from the 2016 or 2018 draft. So, so good for them. I think we're all going to look back and wonder, uh, almost like we do now with uh, Luka Doncic and the NBA draft of 2018 on what were the other teams thinking, but uh, Parsons and then by extension, the Trevon Diggs development, it all fits together. And the Cowboys, at least at this moment in time, 
look like the smartest kids in the room. So uh, we'll see how that holds. Yeah, I mean, and and Diggs's development has been has been otherworldly. Um, you know, he he's been obviously phenomenal. Uh, you know, leading the league in interceptions. It's funny to me because I look back at at different drafts that the Cowboys have had, and and it feels like a lot of the late round picks that you know, and maybe not even late round, but, you know, third, fourth, fifth round, middle round picks that we, we take are, are truly really, really hit or miss. And I feel like this year, you know, Chauncey Golson's played a, a pretty big role, especially with DeMarcus Lawrence out. Jabril Cox, I felt, you know, Dan Quinn and his staff were comfortable with his development alongside Parsons that, you know, led to kind of Jalen Smith getting, getting released and, you know, bringing in guys like DeMonte Casey and, and Malik Hooker, you know, kind of let us shy away from maybe drafting a safety a little bit too high. Do you, do you kind of feel the same way? Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, when, when they uh, look at the positional value of, uh, of run and hit linebacker or safety and things like that, it does fall below the normal barrier of what you're looking for. And that's why corner and pass rusher are, are always so high, but man, you start to, you start to see how it plays out and, I almost think they, uh, for for once, it feels like the Cowboys' brain trust is a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of uh, the the new way to play defense in this league is not necessarily feeling like we have positional designations or uh, little little bins or silos for each each role. Instead. It seems like uh, modern defense is turning more and more into getting 11 positionless hybrids who are all tremendous athletes. And if you look at it from that perspective, now the, the acquisition of talent turns into sort of uh, traits, which, which uh, you know, a lot of draft people have often rolled their eyes at where, where it does come down to 40 times and twitchiness and testing and things like that. But when you see it on the field, and you see that the Cowboys do sort of have a recipe that they're following and filling out their defense uh, in those mid to late rounds, uh, you begin to at least come around to the, the utility and the hybrid nature of this, of this group. And so when you look at Odigizua, he can play inside. He can also kick the outside, even though we haven't seen it much. When you see Golston, inside or outside, he can play the edge. Uh, Parsons. Good Lord, he can play literally anywhere you want on the defense, maybe except cornerback. And and then you just start, you know, you start looking at that Jabril Cox. I mean, what position is he? Is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? Mm-hmm. Who cares? You're trying Keanu, to get 11 guys out there who can get all over the field. Yeah. And Keanu Neal, another example, right? He played yeah. safety, you know, for Quinn in, in Atlanta. And, you know, he comes in here and, you know, takes over that linebacker role. 100%. 100%. And it's, uh, it, 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 it's very forward thinking. And I can't help but continue to look back at the last decade and see how, you know, at many times, and I know I, uh, I probably have kicked the dead horse here, but so many times it feels like when there's innovation in this game, in this sport, the way we do things, it always feels like the Cowboys are, are one of the last teams to the party. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is all so refreshing is it seems like, uh, you know, Dan Quinn has gone counter to what he's ever done. That's the thing. I, I tried to figure out how are they bringing in a cover three guy when it seems like cover three is, is really starting to disappear around the league as, as the next thing. And, and the reality does seem to be 
that uh, he's not a cover three guy anymore. They're running, and I can't believe this number, but it's true. They are running more man coverage than any NFC team, and they're top three in the entire NFL right now. Who, Which who is saw crazy. That it's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely. Unpredictable. And, and uh, it, you know, we, we make fun of the football barn and the uh, take a year off for McCarthy and a year off for Dan Quinn to sort of reevaluate your place in the football world. But, man, I want to credit both of those guys for, you know, legitimately kind of rethinking how they do things. And, and at least for now, it does look like a, a fresh approach to, you know, a, a proverbial uh, new tricks uh, for some old dogs, which is, uh, which is a very fresh, uh, fresh approach. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up an interesting point with Dan Quinn. You know, I, I'm a big believer in certain coaches are better as coordinators um, in their specialty versus, you know, trying to take over as a head coach, right? A lot of coordinators we see come in and, and get a head coaching job and, you know, they've been better on offense or defense, whether, you know, depending on what side of the ball they come from. But, you know, when they have that responsibility as a head coach and have so much more to deal with, it seems like, maybe they're overwhelmed or maybe it's just, you know, they don't have the right people around them. You know, a guy like Todd Bowles, who was an awful, you know, head coach and now is leading one of the best defenses in the league. Same thing with Dan Quinn, right? Is he just significantly better as a defensive guy? Cause it, it just, it's a complete shift from last year, right? When, when Mike Nolan was here and we were, we were awful. Yeah. It's, you know, it's tough to say. I kind of think Dan Quinn can be a good head coach, but I do think he needs um, obviously a good roster and maybe Todd Bowles would tell you the same thing. It's, it's a, it's a very complex formula and it's difficult to fully say that we, uh, you know, have a real tried and true way to know if a guy is a great coach or a great coordinator. I will say um, that does remind me of the Kellen Moore discussions right now. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, whether Dan Quinn has these properties or not, it, 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 you know, it does make you look at guys like, um, Mike Martz, North Turner, uh, even Jason Garrett, who do seem at times to be, you know, real forward thinking offensive minds. At least that's what people thought of Garrett about uh, 15 years ago. And, and in all those cases, the thing about being a head coach that seems very, very different. Actually, there are two things. One, the disposition of your head coach with regards to risk. Uh, because he is the point man. He's the uh, person uh, with the final call on why are we going forward on fourth down? Are we going to sit on a lead or are we going to keep attacking? Are we going to, you know, just, are we willing to go all in on this one hand of poker because everything is riding on it? Or are we uh, averse to risk? Uh, are we, you know, are, do we feel like uh, the best way is to be conservative and to buy mutual funds and, to, you know, to, to really, really try to protect what we have rather than trying to double our money. And I think that's a key part of being a head coach that coordinators never really have to deal with because uh, they don't have to then go face the music very often. And then the other thing is just the general belief and the, you may or may not believe in this. And I'm not sure I always believe in it, but the personality of a head coach kind of being the personality of his team. And that what that means basically is, uh, you know, are you uh, a, a, a culture as a team that that basically embraces adversity 
embraces losing guys to injury or suspension or or COVID or having to play on a Thursday after a Sunday and you know well the schedule makers are unfair or maybe you even got a real bad call uh, are you going to fixate on the circumstances or are you going to you know rub some dirt on it and go play the next down as if uh, you know we're going to exact our revenge by by laughing at adversity and going right back at it and that's why I think you know Mike McCarthy has been a real breath of fresh air here. I don't see anything resembling a country club. I see a team that doesn't seem to pout because they're missing a few pieces. They just pick up and keep marching. And I think that's a great attribute. It doesn't mean you're going to win the Super Bowl every year. It doesn't mean you're going to go to the playoffs every year. It just means you're going to try to hit the ceiling of that particular set of circumstances. So uh, when it comes to risk, and when it comes to the culture of your uh, locker room and your organization, I think these are two things that head coaches control uh, almost like a thermostat rather than a thermometer. And uh, that, that coordinators, we don't know what they would be like in that situation. So, so you know, when everyone spends their entire week wondering uh, how we can keep Kellen Moore as our head coach because uh, son of a gun. Uh, he's, he's a great coordinator. So that surely means he's Sean McVay. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't have any idea. And I don't think anybody has any idea what Kellen Moore would be like in front of a room of men. Uh, when, when you just lost both tackles, uh, to, uh, ACLs, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I do know that Mike McCarthy has been doing that since 2006. I do know that Dan Quinn had a pretty tough team in Atlanta before uh, he lost Kyle Shanahan as his coordinator. So it's, it's a really interesting conversation. And I, I'm sure I uh, gave you three times as much as you wanted there on that <laughs> answer, but, uh, but I, I'm, I'm very passionate about that topic. No, I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and, you know, it's funny because we talk numbers, uh, you know, all the time, right? Oh, how many yards is a team giving up? I mean, the Cowboys, you look at the two teams that have given up the most passing yards in the NFL, and it's the Cowboys and the Bucks, but both are sitting at four and one. And, you yeah. know, I feel, I feel like a lot of those yards are, are coming in the fourth quarter, garbage time, teams trying to play catch up, um, you know, and, and look, Trayvon, you know, Trayvon Diggs takes a lot of chances, right? We know that we know he's, uh, you know, there's some plays that he misses every now and then, but we also have 10 turnovers or 10 interceptions on, on defense. So I'll take the good with the bad, you know, and yeah. I think it's the first time in a long time that we're able to say that. Absolutely. There's no doubt. And, and it, it's all basically the kind of understanding that says uh, we think we can put pressure on our opponent by being more aggressive than they are normally comfortable being. And so when you play Joe judge, or you play Nick Sirianni and, you know, I mean, it's been a time where the Cowboys whole schedule seems like it's against uh, first time coaches, except Bruce Arians uh, and obviously Bill Belichick coming up this week, but in between they've played Brandon Staley, they've played Sirianni, they played second year guy, Matt rule, mm -hmm. and they played uh, Joe judge. And I think in all four cases, you see the difference that coaching makes, because I think in all four games, you could argue the Cowboys enjoyed a distinct coaching advantage. Now that's not just Mike McCarthy, of course, it also is Dan Quinn and it also is Kellen Moore and maybe even the positional coaches. But I, I think that's a change, man. I think when you look at 2011 through 2013 and you see at 24 and 24 and missing the playoffs with Tony Romo in his prime and Des Bryant in his prime and all that, I think you say they underachieved and you would have to admit uh, that the, the underachievement goes a lot of places but one of them would be 
this team lost to a lot of Mickey Mouse coaching staffs. And that the, the reality might be that the Cowboys had a Mickey Mouse coaching staff themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I see the development that they've, they've had with Randy Gregory, uh, the fact that we're still missing Neville Gallimore, Demarcus Lawrence, you know, when those guys come back, I mean, this defense could look a lot scarier than it does now. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely can. And, and, uh, you know, the rookie class has been phenomenal and, and, you know, you, you mentioned uh, just the development that a coach is responsible for, for Randy Gregory or coaching staff. And I would say, look no further than Terrence Steele. And, oh, you yeah. know, that's, that, that's the thing. And, and, and that's, a, that's probably the reason why they're riding with Tyler Biotish is this coaching staff. And in particular, this head coach has a very clear and easy to Google history of developing mid-round offensive linemen into studs. Uh, David Bakhtiari is a great example, but there's a million of them. Corey Lindsley, uh, you just said uh, TJ Lang, you just go through all of the offensive linemen Green Bay turned out. They never really spent high picks on any of those guys. And they all ended up being really, really a Josh Sitton. They all were, they were all Pro Bowl or at least foundational piece offensive linemen. And the reason is, is because they don't pay full price for them, but they develop them. Well, part of the developmental process is, unfortunately, that at first, you're not that good. And if you are a panicky coaching staff, uh, that might be all you ever see of that guy because he looks bad. And then you just basically take him out with the trash and move on to the next guy. But a development means that you're trying to go from point A to point B. Well, point A is never always great. But point B can be, and I think we're seeing even that with Terrence Steele, which is a great example that you don't just yank a guy out because he's struggling, or at least you don't give up on him because he's struggling, because sometimes it takes a little time to play at the highest level in the world. Yeah, and and I think when when everything happened with Lyle Collins, I know as a, as a fan sitting there and we're like, oh my God, more offensive line problems, right? Especially after yeah. the last couple of years, we're sitting there being like, now we got to play a Terrence Steele or, or, you know, whoever comes in, uh, you know, is it, is it Ty Nishke? I mean, who, who's going to fill that backup role, right? Connor McGovern, you know, Connor Williams, we've seen him struggle, you know, the last couple of years and he looks, even he looks better, right? I mean, the penalties are still a problem, um, but Connor Williams even looks better. And, and, you know, that we shift sides of the ball to the offense. We knew the offense was going to be good, right? We, we knew the weapons that this, this team has are, uh, you know, probably one of, if not the top unit in, in football. Um, but uh, Kellen Moore's impact, you know, we go back to talking about coordinators cannot be understated, right? Yes, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he has a great feel for his call sheet. He, uh, he sequences things, he sets up things and he uses all of his weapons. I think that checks nearly every box. And then you back to the fact that, uh, you know, this quarterback is playing his best football. And I, you know, with Kellen Moore, uh, it's an interesting thing to attach meaning to Dak's progression. It's definitely there and it's definitely linked and we should give him plenty of credit. I would say, though, the guy who's also in those meetings and, and you know, I, I, for some reason, I've become the the mouthpiece of uh, defending Mike McCarthy. And I don't <laughs> mean to be that. I don't mean to be that guy, but I do find it crazy how criticized he is. Uh, as he as he coaches this team to uh, just a, a very high spot in the league. And I I would say 
to anyone questioning why Dak Prescott's playing his best football, I would say look at Mike McCarthy and his ability to get Brett Favre at the age of 38 nearly back to the Super Bowl after his career was left for dead. In 2005, he led the NFL in interceptions. He looked like arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL. Mike McCarthy gets there, and by 2007, he's in the NFC Championship game. He's finishing second to Tom Brady in the MVP voting, and he is absolutely playing the best football of his career at the age of 38 when, seriously, he was washed. And then, of course, Aaron Rodgers went from a guy who had dropped all the way through the first round to a guy who's the best quarterback in the, on the planet, and Mike McCarthy is the play caller and the offensive meeting quarterback guru there too so when i put brett Favre and aaron Rodgers and dak prescott all next to each other and you say well what do these guys have in common oh they all played their best football with mike mccarthy so we all we're all very quick to say how do you only win one super bowl with aaron Rodgers?" we're all quick to say why does aaron Rodgers hate him in 2018 but nobody's quick at all to say wait a minute Three unbelievable MVP caliber quarterbacks all played their best with this guy uh, in the meetings and on the sideline and in their ear and in the film room. I wonder if those things are related at all. So, yeah, Kellen Moore gets a lot of credit. Mike McCarthy should. Dak Prescott should. But it's it's very interesting how how it's reported sometimes. Yeah. And it's funny because when you know, when the when the news came out that the Cowboys were hiring Mike McCarthy, there was a lot of kind of skepticism, right? I mean, the fact that, you know, we what happened with him in Green Bay and, and Aaron Rodgers and, you know, knowing how many other candidates were out there. I know a lot of people were clamoring for Lincoln Riley and, and you know, they want everybody wants that new blood. Like you said, the Sean McVay's of the world to come in here. But, um, you know, he's, he's been a, a, an incredible surprise this year. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, having having a guy like McCarthy who's been through the ringer, who's been through, um, you know, two surefire hall of fame quarterbacks what he's doing with Dak and and you know helping this offense to progress further is is completely it's a revelation yeah it it is and and it's also interesting you know just how the national talk shows and everybody can sort of uh, get these easy narratives and you know he does get docked for one super bowl win and i always find that hilarious because that's like saying you only climbed everest once or you only walked on the moon once i mean it's that's a pretty difficult thing first of all to win a super bowl the other thing i would counter with is you know then who's good in the nfc because Sean Payton won one Super Bowl with Drew Brees uh, that entire 15-year run. Uh, Pete Carroll won one Super Bowl with Russell Wilson in a decade in Seattle. Uh, I, I'm is so. Are, if we're just counting Super Bowls amongst NFC coaches, are we left to say the best coach in the last 20 years in this in this conference is Tom Coughlin? I mean, is that is wow. that? Is that the measure? Uh, He won two Super Bowls with Eli Manning. So therefore, that's how we measure greatness. No, it's not. Tell me about a coach who won his division the year Aaron Rodgers missed two months with a broken collarbone. Tell me about that, because that's Mike McCarthy. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a guy who went to four NFC championship games in 10 years, because that's Mike McCarthy. Tell me about a guy who averages over 10 wins a season over 15 seasons. That's Mike McCarthy. So, so when people want to tell you that he uh, doesn't always call the timeouts that all the scribes up in the press box would call, I would say he's definitely not perfect. And I would also say he's definitely not Cliff Kingsbury when it comes to male model, but, uh, but he's, 
he's a he's a gritty coach who who produces gritty teams who can play with injuries, play through adversity, and can hit their ceiling a lot of years. And now, did he make a mistake trying to win a PR battle against Aaron Rodgers? Of course he did. And I would think he would tell you that that's the you know he'd be the first to admit it. But at the same time, um, you know, marriages grow stale. And after 10 years with uh, with one of the best, but also the biggest egos in the NFL, uh, Aaron was going to move on to the next guy. And and it looks like, you know, that fresh marriage has served him well, uh, you know, served him well uh, in addition to that. But I, I, I think uh, the Cowboys have a really solid coach. And I think part of the reason he's a real solid coach is he's got a fine roster uh, with young, hungry players. And he also has a really good coaching staff with some very, very solid uh, minds. And I think that's what it takes. And I think that's what Jimmy Johnson had. And I think, you know, if you look at most teams, Pete Carroll had it in Seattle. That's that's the formula. Get a lot of young players. And by the way, people may not know this, but that team that took the field on Sunday, over 60 percent of them never played a snap for Jason Garrett. Not one. Wow. So this is a this is a team that has completely turned over its roster. Yes, Dak and Zeke are still here. Demarcus Lawrence is still here. Tyron Smith and Zach Martin are still here. The big earners are still here. The rest of the room has completely been uh, recycled with uh, fiery, competitive, athletic, hungry young players that are really moving the needle. And I think that's an exciting story. You know, it's uh, on whenever you, you see success in a team like this and, and granted, it's still early in the year. Right. I mean, we're only we're five games in, but you see success like there's there's always a couple a couple players that that seem to have, you know, those breakout years or seem to have taken the next step in their development. Right. We've seen that on the defensive side with Trayvon Diggs. Offensively, we know Zeke's finally healthy again. He looks better. You can tell that the speed, the athleticism is back. Having that two headed monster with Tony Pollard. Um, you know, obviously is fantastic. We're second in the league in rushing, but Dalton Schultz has just come out of nowhere, right? One catch yeah. in, in 2019. Um, now he leads the league or leads the team in catching with 26 receptions. I mean, we know how important tight end is. We, we saw Romo to Witten for, for a decade, you know, how, how important is Dalton Schultz to this offense being that, that security blanket for Dak Prescott? Well, I would say uh, it's very important, but I would also say that's only the second most important thing he does for this team because uh, Mike McCarthy teams need tight ends who can block. They love the run. Uh, they love uh, to grow the running game through the season so that it's peaking in January. I've seen this. They are prepared for bad weather games. They are prepared for wars. They are prepared for uh, two wounded teams standing in the center of the ring in the 12th round, just slugging it out. And that's what Mike McCarthy believes in. And so I can tell you that Dalton Schultz has risen through this roster in the last two seasons specifically because they trust him, even though he's undersized for a tight end, they trust him to block with all of his Stanford ability that he possibly has. He does it with enthusiasm. He does it with precision. And you're not going to see Dalton Schultz losing in the run blocking game very much at all. So you're right. 
he's become a very solid receiver, very dependable. I, I, I would like to see him reel in a few more of those seam catches in the end zone and, and the ability there to even uh, take his game to the next level. But I am reasonably sure, unless his price just gets really carried away, that uh, the Cowboys are going to do everything they can to make sure that he gets extended uh, here. And it could happen even in season, as far as I'm concerned, for uh, to make sure he doesn't even go to free agency. It's funny you mentioned the, uh, you know, prepping to, to run the ball in, in bad weather. The last couple of weeks of the season were in Washington, in New York, and then finish out the season in Philly. Yeah. So all, all you know, bad weather, cold weather, you know, in, in the wintertime. And I promise the coach is well aware of that. And he, and, and by the way, he's also prepared to go to Seattle, San Francisco, Green Bay, wherever he's got to go in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess Chicago could factor in. You know, I'm, I'm positive he'd love to win the one seed and, and stay in Dallas. But, but uh, that coach from Pittsburgh who spent uh, all those years in Green Bay, he, he, those guys know that you better be prepared for anything, which is, you know, takes us to Foxborough. When they went to Foxborough in 2019 in the last year of Jason Garrett, uh, it, it rained and it rained hard. But you would you would think that the number one offense in the NFL that day had never played together. And uh, I, I expect, uh, you know, the Cowboys to have a much different approach on Sunday. And it's partly because uh, their coach is used to playing in weather and uh, he actually relishes it. So so, uh, you know, I, I think this is just honestly, I keep coming back to this. This is just a tougher team. This mm -hmm. is not a country club. This is a team that embraces the challenge and and that i think is a reflection of the personality of the guy steering the boat looking at the rest of the schedule bob you know we the next couple of weeks when I mean, you've got a rookie quarterback in mac jones we've got the vikings you know teddy bridgewater in denver I, i'm looking at at the rest of the slate of the games obviously kansas city is going to be a tough matchup even though their defense looks horrendous um and then Arizona, maybe in January, you know, the, yeah. the other undefeated. I mean, what's the ceiling for this? Is this is this legitimately the and Cowboy? We always say this. We always say we're going to make the playoffs. We're going to win the Super Bowl. Is this the like legitimately a Super Bowl contender? Wow, I mean that's that's uh, that's up several levels. Uh, I I think its ceiling could be absolutely, and and I think uh, you have to really like the fact that they are in a division where by those games in December and January, those teams might be shells of themselves and they might be layup wins. And I can tell you the NFC West will not have layup wins. Uh, they might have one team bow out, but we know Seattle does not stop fighting. We know the Rams will not stop fighting. Uh, the 49ers are having a very curious year, but that's a very physical football team and, and the Cardinals. So uh, those, that is a four way war. And it might already be clearing out a little bit through five weeks, but uh, I anticipate there are some twists and turns in the road that we haven't seen coming. Then you look at the South and you know that uh, Tampa and Carolina and New Orleans are going to keep punching each other. Uh, and, and then here are the Cowboys who may not have a second team in their division that, uh, that, that is going to, you know, break nine wins. And so if you can really demoralize your competition by having a three game lead by, uh, by the first of December, uh, it, you know, it might now be sorting for, you know, uh, seeding, which is very important, obviously now with only one by week, but, uh, there, there's no reason, especially if you keep the key players healthy and in particular, you're the quarterback 
that this team can't compete with anybody in the NFC. Absolutely can compete with anybody in the NFC. But, uh, man, we've <laughs> we've been fooled in mid-October. Yes. Uh, every team has, and 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 that's why I would uh, I would just try to get everybody to stay on task. And, and the next thing is New England and then a bye week and then, and then you're into uh, November. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think uh, we can continue to follow the path, but it's, uh, it's just hard to go from week five to week 17 for me, uh, just knowing that, uh, you know, like the Giants, there will be a game at some point in the not too distant future, I suppose, where the Cowboys could lose three starters in one game. And then uh, mm-hmm. that changes everything. So, uh, you know, it, it, they're setting themselves up very well. This is a very good team with what appears to be very few weaknesses. And they're about to get four or five starters at the trade deadline without even having to make a trade. So they have set themselves up very well where it goes from here, man, who can say. Yeah, I think it's it's easy to be optimistic, but but you're absolutely right. We've been fooled before, and it's you know there's we got to just <laughs> I think stay calm and and you know take it week by week and and just enjoy the ride. Right, I think this is the first time in a, in a while we've seen a team this well put together and this well coached, and uh, you know a lot of the things that that mistakes that the Cowboys have made in in years prior, um, you know we've seen that you know cleaned up a lot. I think through these first five weeks. No doubt. No doubt. They're, they're not beating themselves. And, uh, that of course is the rule number one in football is, uh, do not be your own worst enemy. We've definitely seen Cowboys teams struggle with that, but, uh, this, this team appears to be pretty fundamentally sound and pretty solid in that department. Absolutely. Can't wait to see what the rest of the season brings. Bob, thank you again for joining the podcast. I really appreciate it, man. I would love to do this anytime you want. Fantastic. My friend. Thank you. Take it easy. Always fun to have the great Bob Sturm on the show. You know, it, it's he, he's absolutely right. Uh, you know, Cowboys fans have been let down for, what, 20, 25 years now at this point. You know, we've had great teams. We've made it to the postseason, and, and things just don't go our way. But something about this team feels different. Um, you know, I think a lot of Cowboys fans, rightfully so, are hesitant to kind of jump on the bandwagon and and get excited. You know, we'll just have to wait and see. Look, the schedule is favorable for the Cowboys to finish with the top seed in the NFC. You know, it's not easy to play in Arrowhead, obviously, against the best quarterback in in the NFL, um, you know, and Patrick Mahomes. New Orleans is always a tough place to play. You've got your divisional games uh, towards the end of the year now since all you know all three were stacked at the beginning um, and then of course you've got to play the only undefeated team uh, in National Football League in the Arizona Cardinals in what would be a homecoming for Kyler Murray as well so not an easy road ahead but there there are opportunities there for the Cowboys not only to win the division but to really uh, take hold of the NFC uh, and 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 work their way towards getting that number one seed uh, as we you know get closer and closer to the postseason. Uh, Want to look ahead to to this weekend's matchup against the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, as Bob alluded to earlier, last time these two teams met was in uh, 2019, I believe. Um, you know, Cowboys had the number one offense in the NFL, 
and could not, uh, you know, pull out a victory uh, against the Patriots uh, at that time. Uh, they lost 13-9, to actually, in New England. A, a rainy game. I remember the weather was crazy, and the Cowboys just could not uh, move the ball um, against New England in that heavy rain. Uh, things should be a little bit different this week. Um, you know, the Cowboys look like a better team uh, than they did a couple of years ago. Uh, and, and the Patriots, obvi- obviously, you know, with their rookie quarterback, Mac Jones, are going through somewhat of a, you know, I don't want to say rebuild, especially after all the money that they spent this year, but they're definitely going through a transition period uh, where, you know, you've got a lot of these, uh, a lot of rookies, a lot of young guys that are, that are playing for this team. The receiving core, obviously we know is, you know, is relatively new. Uh, The chemistry between Mac Jones and and Jacoby Myers can't go understated. Uh, But, you know, Trayvon Diggs is, is in all likelihood going to be uh, covering Jacoby Myers throughout this game so that's gonna that's gonna open up opportunities for Nelson Aguilar it's gonna open up opportunities uh, for a guy like Kendrick Bourne and even the two tight ends that the Patriots signed this offseason in in Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith does I I don't think the Patriots win this game I think Cowboys um, I'll take Cowboys 31 21 Um, you know the Patriots can't run the ball Uh, Damian Harris consistently is injured, uh, keeps fumbling the ball. Ramondrick Stevenson continues to turn the ball over. And plus the Cowboys only give up 79 yards a game, which ranks fifth in the league. So I don't think that the Patriots are going to have much success uh, running against the Cowboys. I do think they're going to have to throw the ball to to have any shot at staying in this game, especially with Jalen Mills being injured in their secondary, which should open up plenty of opportunities uh, for guys like C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper and even Dalton Schultz uh, when it comes to to Dak Prescott's options. Um, you know, the, the Cowboys are going to have to get to the passer. They're going to have to rush Mac Jones, make him feel uncomfortable. But look, we all know we all know the, the, the genius that is Bill Belichick, and we saw what he did to Tom Brady uh, a couple weeks ago in, in his return to New England. Uh, you know, Belichick knows how to game plan against quarterbacks. Belichick knows how to bump receivers off the line, have a linebacker come up and bump a receiver uh, before they break into their route, uh, which really throws the timing off. Um, in order for the Cowboys to be successful, they just have to continue to do what they've been doing, and that's have a steady dose of Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, um, let Dak Prescott, you know, go through his reads with good protection from his offensive line, uh, and the Cowboys shouldn't have any problem walking out of New England uh, five and one, uh, and going into their bye week. Thanks everybody uh, for joining and listening into Metroplex Mania. Once again, I'm your host, Sean Avaz Makani. Be sure to, to subscribe, whatever platform you're using, whether it's uh, Apple or Spotify, just hit that subscribe button and I'll see you on the next episode.